I'm Sinhara, and welcome to the Black Girl's Guide to Fertility podcast. This show is for all women who are dealing with infertility, but it's specifically dedicated to Black women because we have a problem with opening up when it comes to this issue. And I don't want to leave out the men. You guys are welcome here too. On today's episode, I'm going to share pretty much my process of discovering when I was pregnant and walk you through those nine months. Um, I'm going to break this down into two episodes uh, just to kind of keep them, you know, somewhat short. I don't want them to be too long, Uh, but I hope that you find this insightful and that it will encourage you on your journey. Where have you been? So before I jump into sharing uh, more about uh, my journey, when I discovered I was pregnant, I wanted to respond to some of the emails I received and some of the Instagram messages I received from people inquiring what was taking so long with the podcast. Um, And even before I had my daughter, I was I stopped recording, I want to say around six or seven months uh, because it just became harder, uh, really trying to talk and breathe. Uh, it just became more difficult. So I wasn't recording because of that. And then when I had my daughter, uh, my husband travels work a lot. And so he's gone for months at a time, uh, often out of the country. And so I did not take into account how hard it would be to record a podcast with a baby here. And I did not want that interference um, on the podcast of hearing a baby crying in the background. So I was not able to record. Uh, But because of the coronavirus that's uh, sweeping this nation right now, uh, my husband is back home. And so I'm able to record and without you hearing any noises in the background. And so, yeah, that's where I've been. I've been at home taking care of my daughter and um, anything that I do, I always want to do it with quality and as much perfection as I can. And so I just think it's kind of unprofessional just to hear a bunch of noises and screaming in the background if I'm going to do a podcast. But I have not forgotten about any of you. Um, You are in my prayers every single day. And hopefully now I'll be able to get these podcasts out uh, more often uh, now that my husband is home. Uh, So yeah, I haven't forgotten about you. And I've been wanting to do this podcast for a long time because I have a lot to talk about. So I hope that you enjoy. Here we go again. So my husband was really persistent that we uh, give this um, IVF thing another try. And as I mentioned before, we had done two failed IVFs. Um, We did a number of failed IUIs. It was like seven failed IUIs. I honestly lost count. And so this was going to be our third IVF. And I kind of just really was over it. And my husband was like, no, we need to do this because we're going to lose our money. And so luckily with the package that we had, uh, well, thank God, with the package we had, we were able to try for a year with doing IVF before we had to pay again, uh, which is a service that my clinic no longer offers, unfortunately, uh, because they merged with another fertility clinic. But anyhow, we were able to try for a year without having to pay again. So we were pretty much at the end of that cycle. Um, Our year was getting ready to be up. And my husband was like, listen, this is how we need to do it. We just need to go ahead and, you know, get it done. So I went kind of dragging my feet and we started the process again. 
during the time of me starting my third IVF, um, I got a call to go take a freelance job in California, which uh, I mentioned before, I work in TV film industry. And so I got a call to go work out there and I explained to the person that was hiring me that, you know, I was doing a fertility treatment I was kind of in the middle of. And so I couldn't come right now. And so that person agreed to hold the job for me until I was done with the treatment. So in my mind, I'm just like, okay, I need to hurry up and get done with this fertility treatment so I can go get to do this job and just be done. So I do the fertility treatment. Uh, we do the, the transfer, the embryo transfer. And the next day um, I get on a plane and I go to California and so with fertility treatments, um, you are strongly encouraged, at least with my doctor, they want you to come back in to do a blood test. Um, they don't want you to get any false negatives or false positives. And so they check your pregnancy by a blood test. And so I had told my doctor previously that, hey, I'm going to California. Um, I don't plan on coming back anytime soon. And so she was okay with me doing my blood test at another fertility clinic in California. Uh, so once I got there, uh, they reminded me, hey, don't forget two weeks out. Make sure you go get your blood test done. And so I found a clinic in L.A. My doctor approved it. And uh, once the two weeks got here, got there, I went to the fertility clinic in California and I got the blood work done. And so I went, I had to be to work by, by nine and California traffic is ridiculous. So I got there really early. I think it was like 645 or something. So I wouldn't be late to work. And when I tell you this fertility clinic I went to was standing room only, like there was no place to sit. Like we were standing against the wall, pretty much shoulder to shoulder. And I just really was disgusted at that point. And I'm just like, okay, I don't even want to be here, you know. So I'm waiting for them to call me. I probably was there like maybe an hour, 20 minutes or so. They finally call my name. I get my blood work done. I'm out. Uh, I go to work. Later on that afternoon, my doctor's office uh, in Atlanta calls me and it's like, hey, um, just letting you know, we haven't gotten the results back from your blood test yet in California, but we're in touch with them. We're waiting for them. And so I'm like, OK, uh, I get back to my apartment and my husband was like, hey, have you heard anything from the doctor yet? I'm like, no, nothing yet. They said they're going to call me later. But they did. They're waiting to find out the information from the clinic in L.A. So I remember I, I was going, getting ready to go into the bathroom and then my phone rings and it was my nurse in Atlanta from my fertility doctor's office. She calls me and typically the doctor always calls me, but she was out of town. Um, and so I didn't get a call from her. I got a call from the nurse. And so the nurse is like, hey, so um, you're, she's talking so like this. So, um, your tests. So we got the results. I'm like, yeah, uh-huh. Like, you know, I'm waiting for her to say negative in my mind. I've already heard her say that I'm not pregnant. And so she's like, so here's the thing. Um, your test came back positive. And I was like, yeah, right. And she was like, no, I'm very serious. It came back positive. Um, so I need you to go back to that same clinic um, in a couple of days and retest. I think they told me like two or three days. So that would have been a Monday when I was going to go back to retest. And I'm just like, OK, there were so many people in there. They probably got my results mixed up with someone else's like this. 
I don't believe it's true. And she's like, okay, um, so this is a thing and uh, your result definitely is positive. So I'm going to need you to go to that clinic again and get retested. So I'm like, okay, whatever. So my husband was like, oh, what did she say? I was like, she said my test is positive. He's like, I knew it. I knew it. And I'm like, she doesn't know what she's talking about. This is a mistake. So he was like, okay, um, let's walk down to the CVS. There was a CVS like half a block from my apartment. Let's walk down to the CVS and get you a pregnancy test. I'm like, I'm not taking no pregnancy test. I've taken so many pregnancy tests. I'm not taking one. And he was like, well, what difference does it make? If she already told you you're pregnant, but you don't believe that, then what's what's the big deal about us taking a pregnancy test? So we go down to the CVS, get a pregnancy test. I, you know, go through the whole motion, you know, pee on the stick, whatever. And I hand it to him. I'm just like, whatever. And then he just starts busting out laughing, like maybe like a minute or so later. And he was like, see, I told you. And then I saw the two lines on on the pregnancy test. And I'm just like, this is not real. And so that was my first ever positive pregnancy test. And I just honestly, I could not believe it. Mix up or not. So aside from the fact that I had been on this nearly seven year journey with trying to conceive and nothing was working, uh, one of the reasons why I also did not believe that I was pregnant was because I felt how I felt every other time, like my cycle was going to start. I also had did everything wrong in terms of following everything down to a T. You know, when you're doing fertility treatment, you have to give yourself injections the same time every night. I did not do that. It wasn't intentional. It was just because I came from the East Coast to the West Coast. And then in my mind, somehow I got the time screwed up and I was giving myself shots at the wrong time. Um, I also had brought two big suitcases with me. Um, because again, I had no intentions on coming back to Atlanta anytime soon. So I had two big suitcases with me. Um, you're not supposed to lift over 25 pounds and I had my suitcases because in my mind again, okay, my test is going to come back negative. So what difference does it make? I had my suitcases. I had just pretty much everything I did during this cycle I did wrong. And so that's another reason why I did not believe that I was pregnant. So fast forward to that Monday, you know, I went the whole weekend, you know, kind of like agonizing, like, is this a real thing? Is it not? That Monday, I go back to that same fertility clinic. I retest. Um, That afternoon, um, the nurse calls me again because my doctor is still traveling. My nurse in Atlanta calls me again. And it's like, hey, so, you know, you're definitely pregnant. Your numbers have doubled since your last test, and we look for your numbers to double, you are definitely pregnant. I need you to get on a plane and come home. And so I'm just kind of like quiet on the other end. I'm like, uh, okay. She was like, okay, I'm going to need you to be like a little bit more excited about this. <laughs> and I could hear her on the phone just kind of like crying because she's known me this whole time and she's been with me through this whole process. So 
I can hear her like sobbing on the phone and she's not that kind of person. Like she's always like very like, you know, stone face, you know. Um, And so she's like crying on the other end of the phone. Like, I'm going to need you to be more excited about this. And, you know, so she's giving me this whole talk and I'm like, yeah, uh, I'm just like in shock right now. So just give me a moment to process this. And she was like, "Okay, process it, uh, but get home because we need you to come in. We need to see you. And so I think I waited like a week or so before I actually got back to Atlanta. And when I got back to Atlanta, same thing. I'm just kind of like, you know, in shock about it. Still not really believing because, again, um, for anyone who's ever gone through this process, you know, you go through a lot of ups and downs, a lot of pain, a lot of wishing and wanting and not really getting there. And so I didn't want to get my hopes up and then it's be something that's not really real. So anyhow, I I tell my person I was working for, hey, I got to go. This is what's going on. She was totally supportive, like, hey, go do what you got to do. I left back to Atlanta. I go ahead and I do, uh, it was an ultrasound that we did just to confirm the pregnancy again. Um, We did the ultrasound. We could see, you know, little tiny, tiny little seed. Um, And that was the first time that it really was confirmed. But that morning when I went to go do the ultrasound, I got sick. And so that was also like confirmation to me, like, okay, this is really real. But between the sickness and then doing the ultrasound, it was like, okay, this is a real thing. Um, And again, my doctor was like beyond excited. My nurse again, who had been with me for the past seven years, she was basically in tears again. And when I left the doctor's office that day, I got sicker and that sickness lasted for almost six months. Um, And I'm going to talk more about that. West Coast and Morning Sickness. So I get back on the plane and I go back to L.A. This was after me finding out and confirming through the ultrasound that I definitely was pregnant. And when I got, when I, well, I mentioned previously that I got sick the morning of doing the ultrasound and was getting sicker and sicker. And so I don't, honestly don't even know how I got on the plane to get to L.A. because I was so sick Like I couldn't even move. Like anything I did, I felt like I just was going to throw up every second. And when people mention morning sickness, for me, it wasn't morning sickness. It was all day sickness. So somehow I managed to get onto this plane. Um, I got uh, landed and then I got into an Uber. And I don't know how I felt like the Uber driver was driving fast. I don't know what was going on, but... I'm throwing up in the back of his car. I have these little uh, bags my husband had given me to throw up in. I'm throwing up in the back of his car and I'm basically trying to tell him, hey, you know, I'm not contagious or nothing. Like, I don't have any type of bug. Like, I found out I was discovered that I was pregnant and, you know, I'm just experiencing sickness. So he's he starts laughing. He was like, oh, congratulations. Meanwhile, I'm still in the back throwing up. So again, I mentioned that went on for for nearly six months and I don't even know how I was going to work every day because at my job, like they would provide lunch. And so every day I would order the lunch and I couldn't eat it. 
but I would just take it with me because I didn't want people there to know that I was pregnant. Because again, I really didn't know them. My boss knew that I was pregnant, but I didn't want to share that with everyone because again, I don't know them. And this had been a very personal and trying journey. And so every day I was just like praying, okay, that nothing was going to go wrong. So I didn't share with them that I was pregnant. Um, And every day at lunch, we would kind of sit around the table like, oh, hey, why don't you come sit in here with us? And their food was making me sick to my stomach. Um, And so that was like my my introduction into discovering and being pregnant. Um, And I know everyone has different experiences. One of my friends, uh, my producer on my web series, she got pregnant a couple months before I did. And she had no sickness at all. So when we both discovered we were pregnant, I remember I called her and I was like, I have news for you. And she's like, I have news for you. And she was like, you go first. And so I told her, hey, I'm, you know, I'm pregnant. So she's crying on the other end of the phone. It's like, I'm pregnant too. And we're both crying and screaming on the phone, just, you know, at going through this experience and, and being on this whole journey. But again, morning sickness slash all day sickness was not something I was prepared for. But for me, I know it was a necessary thing for me to have because if I didn't have that, I probably would still not believe that I was pregnant. East Coast and an untrained nurse. So I remember having a hard out date by my doctor that I need to be back to the East Coast. And so just to backtrack, I was released from my fertility doctor, I want to say sometime, maybe it was late January, early February. And so I had to switch back over to my regular OBGYN and start to see her uh, regularly to uh, check on the baby. And so I would still fly back for those appointments, uh, but my doctor gave me a hard out date. And I think that was like by April, end of April, I need to be back on the East Coast. Um, if that's why I was preparing to have my daughter, uh, which I wanted to have her in Atlanta. So um, I get back to the East Coast and then my doctor's appointments started to increase. And throughout that process, I just recall Every time I went to the doctor, sometimes you, know, you have different set of nurses and I was always kind of training them on infertility because they really didn't know. Um, and maybe they didn't encounter that many people who came in um, who were, got pregnant through fertility treatments, but they were constantly asking me questions. So how do you know you're pregnant? And so what do they do for fertility treatment? And I was like, explain to them. Uh, but one particular nurse, um, she asked me a very weird question and she continued to ask me that question. And so I just want to put this out there to any nurses. I know you guys work so hard. My sister is a nurse. You work very hard, overworked, all that good stuff. Um, but I also think there comes a time when you should try your best to become educated on all things. Um, and so this particular nurse said to me, Oh, I see um, on your file that you're 38. And I just thought it was kind of wonky because it says here, this is your first pregnancy. And I said, yeah. And and so she kept asking me the same question, like in a different way, I guess, wanting to get a different answer out of me. And so that started to piss me off. So I said to her, well, I don't know why you keep asking me that question. I said, because... 
First of all, I said I started fertility treatments when I was 31. I was like, I've been doing fertility treatments for nearly seven years. This is my first pregnancy, the first time I've ever been pregnant. I was saying, for everyone, they don't get pregnant easily. I was like, so me and my husband are very overjoyed about this process, and we're overjoyed that we're actually expecting our first child together. So then she just kind of like took a step back, and she was like just shocked um, just to learn more about, you know, the fertility process. And so I just wanted to put that out there to people, you know, don't be so hard pressed on people. Oh, this is your first pregnancy because you don't know people's personal stories. Yeah. I didn't intend to do fertility treatments for seven years. <laughs> trust me. Uh, but at the same time, not everyone gets pregnant easily and everyone gets pregnant, you know, um, just on a drop of a dime. So just be cautious of that. Be mindful of that. Uh, yeah. And just, if you're going through this process as well, don't be afraid to educate your nurses and even some doctors who are not privy to the fertility process. No baby shower for me. So I was extremely adamant um, that I did not want a baby shower. And for me, it was for a number of reasons. Uh, One, just going through this pregnancy was scary in itself because I never had gone through this. And for, I want to say the first five months, like you really, or at least for me, like I didn't feel anything aside from the morning sickness. Like I didn't feel any movement. I didn't feel anything. And so it's like, you know, your stomach is slowly growing. Uh, But overall, aside from the sickness, like there was no movement or anything. So I'm just like, I don't want a baby shower. I just want to have the baby and just be done. But my husband was adamant, no, you've been through this whole process. You are going to have a baby shower. (laughs) And so um, my husband and my sister started to plan the baby shower. And I actually am glad, although I I had the baby shower kicking and screaming, I was against it until the very last minute. Um, And then I want to say it was like a week or two before the baby shower. Then I started calling my sister. Okay, we need to do this. We need to do this. We need to have this food, this food. And she was like, okay, you're getting on my nerves and I'm going to do this shower and you just need to sit back and let me do it. So anyhow, I get to the venue on the day we had it in downtown Atlanta. And when I tell you on that day, it rained so hard, like all day raining to where you couldn't even see out of the car that we were driving in. Like it poured all day long. So I'm just like, okay, I should definitely not be having this baby shower Anyhow, I get down to the venue. It's beautiful. A lot of my sorority sisters have flew in from out of town, which was like a wonderful a surprise. Made me feel very loved. Um, of course, you know, my, my mom had flew in and my cousins drove in. And we really just kind of sat around and, and talked. And there was one moment at the baby shower, my sister goes, okay, I want everyone to say something. And so my one line sister, Terika, 
starts to talk and she's a crier and she just starts busting out crying, saying how happy she is. And she, you know, so excited for me. And so she's crying, crying, crying. And once she started crying, everybody started crying. So everyone who kind of talked after that was crying. So they left it for me to talk last. So I'm like, okay, great. Now I have to talk. And I didn't plan on crying. Um, I have my makeup and everything done. I'm like, I didn't plan on crying. So anyhow, I go up to the front and I don't even recall what I said because I could barely get out any of the words that I wanted to say, um, aside from the fact that I was just grateful to God for this moment and grateful for everyone in the room who thought in that robbery, take time out of their busy schedules to drive in the fly-in to come celebrate with me. Um, and just for the fact that I continue to, and my husband continue to push me to um, go through with these treatments, although I didn't want to do it. And I know I just kept crying at the, at the shower saying, we spent so much money. We spent so much money, uh, which we did. We spent so much money trying to get, um, our daughter here. Uh, but I just want to, want to talk about that for a quick second, because we spent a lot of money to get her here and it was all worth it. <laughs> the whole seven year fight, it was all worth it in the end. And just to have everyone come out and celebrate was worth it as well. So I just want to tell other people that if you've gone through this journey as well, and however long it's been, and you finally have reached a point where you have conceived, or um, even if you're adopting or whatever form you're starting your family through, you know, don't be afraid to have a baby shower. Don't be afraid to have other people celebrate you and try as best as you can to enjoy the moment. Um, I know it's hard. I know it's scary. Uh, but after all, we are worth being celebrated, especially all the things we go through and put our bodies through just to become mothers. Lost followers and survivors remorse. Another reason why um, I was reluctant to, to even post or share or even have a baby shower or anything like that um, was because I was worried how other women would feel because I know I've been on the other end of that how they would feel when I posted a picture or said that I was pregnant, you know, how would they feel about it? Would they feel like I was leaving them? Would they feel like, oh, I can't relate to the process anymore? So I was very hesitant. Uh, but when I had the baby shower, everyone started posting, my friends, family started posting. So I was like, okay, well, I guess it's time for me to post. So I posted, um, I believe first on my Instagram page, and I received a ton, a ton, I would say at least 90% of positive feedback. Uh, but then I had about 10% where I lost followers immediately. People like unfollowed me immediately. So I was very conscious of that. And, you know, I told my husband, like, you know, I'm not really going to post, you know, a lot of pictures. And he agreed with me. You know, he said, you know, don't overdo it because there will be people who are sensitive and there will be people who feel like, you know, you are leaving them behind because you're pregnant. Um, and then with that also comes like a little bit of survivor's remorse um, from just being going through this process and just feeling like, OK, well, I made it out. Um, I got on the other end of that. But what about all the other women that I see daily, all the other women who are on my prayer cards I'm praying for every single day and praying that they're going to conceive just like I conceived? Um, and just dealing with the emotions of that, 
um, you know, and that God answered my prayer and wanting him to answer their prayers too. Um, so it's it's a lot emotionally to take in, it's a lot emotionally to um just just to deal with uh going through the process. But again, I understand why people would stop following because a lot of people don't want to see other people, you know, express their happiness or joy, especially when it comes to fertility, if you haven't reached that point. Um, but I just want to encourage other people just to hang in there, don't give up keep going, keep pushing. And I understand if you have to take a step back and you don't want to see someone else, you know, and enjoy the moment. I totally get it. Uh, but also be be mindful that at some point it's okay to celebrate other people and just know that I'm also constantly praying for you. So if you email me even one time and I never hear from you again, your name is on my prayer card and I'm praying for you every day, praying that you will reach the success that you want and that you will become a mother in any form or fashion it is that you are seeking to become a mother. Not so perfect birth. So throughout my pregnancy, every day I was praying for a perfect birth. Um, I hired a doula. You know, I was doing these birthing exercises on my birthing ball. Um, you know, I was going to, of course, my doctor's appointments regularly. Everything was looking great. Everyone was supportive. I was doing my plan. Birthing plan was to do a natural birth. Everyone was on board. And as I mentioned previously, you know, training nurses and informing them about infertility who don't know. Uh, once um, once everyone kind of understood what the process was, who wasn't aware of the infertility process, the nurses and my doctor, everyone, we became like family. You know, we would, every appointment, I'll be in there laughing with them. They'd be laughing with me, you know, so excited for me, excited to see this baby come. And so we really became like a family unit. And so they were all super supportive. And so my due date comes, and I think my original due date was, um, I believe it was July 17th. And so due date comes and no baby. Um, and of course, my doctor was like, well, don't freak out. A lot of first time uh, moms do deliver two weeks late. So, you know, of course, I have to keep going back to the doctor. I think I was going like every other day, checking, checking, checking. And then they finally tell me, okay, well, if you don't have the baby by this date, we're going to induce you. And I did not want to be induced, so I started freaking out about that. And so um, I was one day out from being induced. All my family was here. They had drove um, drove down, flew in, whatever. They were all here waiting for the baby to come. And prior to that, like everyone was calling me or texting me saying, eat spicy stuff, try this, do this, do that. And so um, I I know I had some Mexican food and I had some jalapenos, all that stuff. It did not work, nothing. Um, my brother and my uncle uh, drive down to Columbus, Georgia. They get some crabs, um, had them steamed and seasoned, all the stuff. They bring them back. We're at my sister's house at this point. They bring them back and they're like, okay, you should eat these crabs. We're going to put some spicy stuff on there for you. I'm like, I don't like spicy stuff. They're like, just eat the crabs. So they start, and I like crabs. So they start 
pouring all the spicy stuff onto the crabs, crab shells and stuff. And so I, I guess I was eating crabs for about a good hour. And so after that, you know, we went back home. My parents were staying at my house. My husband drives us back home. And three o'clock in the morning, I wake up and I'm like, uh, I think my water just broke. So I called the doctor and my husband gets up. My mom gets up, all that stuff. And so I'm like, okay, I think my water broke. So anyhow, I'm explaining to them what happened. And then I said, but I see blood. And they're like, well, sometimes people will have, I guess, what's called bloody show. But you shouldn't really see like a lot of blood. And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm bleeding. So they're like, okay, well, get dressed, you know, come to the hospital. So I get up, get dressed. My husband was like, oh, you should try to eat something. So I think I had a piece of toast thinking that once I got to the hospital, I'm going to eat because I wasn't in any pain, really. It just felt like very mild period cramps. So by the time I got to the hospital, probably it was like maybe nine o'clock in the morning or something. Get to the hospital, I'm still bleeding. And so once I get to the hospital, I forget exactly. They may have <clears throat> run some tests or whatever, but they couldn't figure out why I was bleeding. So uh, once they um, got me into the bed, they're like, okay, well, you can't eat anything because we don't exactly know why you're bleeding. So we're still trying to figure that out. And so... That was the beginning of what I did not know was going to be a not-so-perfect birth, which I will share in part two of this podcast. I'm Sinhara Eastman, and thank you for listening to the Black Girl's Guide to Fertility podcast. You can stay connected with this movement on my website, on Facebook, and on Instagram. And if you haven't already, please join my mailing list at blackgirlsguidefertility.com and on sinharaeastman.com. And if you haven't done so, please check out the first two episodes of my web series that's currently on YouTube. And if you would like to support the web series and further episodes, please go to blackgirlsguidefertility.com and click on our PayPal link. Thank you.